Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. There's a whole organization on Instagram that will send a nude for a vote. If you tell them you voted, you'll get a sexy photo. Jane Litvinenko. I learn new things from you every day. Our new editor here at CanadaLandShow.com. Welcome to your first episode of Shortcuts. Thank you. This is actually my second, though. Oh, sorry. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to you by Jason, Daniel Quinn, Melinda Jacobs, Trevor McCormick, David Peltier, Ed Michael Roth, Omar Gaffar, Lauren Beaton, and Matt Lissack. Matt, why did you decide to be awesome? When your public broadcaster becomes underfunded, irrelevant, insulated, and lame, the prudent thing to do is to build a better one that has teeth and humor and preferably swearing. This episode is also brought to you by FreshBooks. Before you came to work here, Jane, you used FreshBooks. I did. I still use FreshBooks um, every day. I love them. They send me nifty little emails telling me who I have to chase down. Wait, you mean like as a payer or as a pay, like which clients you need to? So when I send out an invoice at the end of the month, they tell me which ones weren't paid. And my favorite response to anybody who hasn't paid my invoice is my landlord wants to know when the check will be in the mail. Thanks, FreshBooks. <laughs> Mental note to always pay Jane on time. Uh, FreshBooks is... The best way to send invoices for small businesses and freelancers, painless billing, cloud accounting, saves you time, makes you look good, gets you paid faster. Check it out at freshbooks.com. You can try it for free for 30 days. After that, you're going to want to become a customer. And when you do and you sign up, tell them who sent you. You will be helping this show. Thank you very much, FreshBooks. A re-elected conservative government will also commit to establishing an RCMP tip line so that citizens and victims can call with information about incidents of barbaric cultural practices here in Canada. The Conservatives say revoking the citizenship of terrorists is the right thing to do. Would there be other types of crimes in the future that you would consider expanding this to? Like, for example, a serial killer or a a rapist or or someone who did something to to children and had a a second citizenship with another country? Well, you know, obviously we can can look at options in the future. Bombing women and children. That's just not true. That's just not true. 
Jag Dish Graywall was center stage just last month, introducing the headliner, Stephen Harper, in a key Ontario riding. Graywall made headlines of his own. Translated, the title says, is it wrong for a homosexual to become a normal person? It's sounding gross out there. Yeah, that really pissed me off. What part? All of it. <laughs> so, Do I have to pick? No, there's a long list. I mean, uh, let's count it off here. There's uh, uh, dress codes and snitch lines, enemy lists, uh, barbaric cultural practices, uh, abnormal, unnatural behaviors, uh, lots of code words and dog whistles, different types of incitements to hatred that seem micro-targeted to different communities. You got something for the Chinese community. That statement that the Conservative Party issued in Mandarin, Vice, I think, translated it? Yeah. Yeah, that was them. Vice translates this statement that was in Mandarin, and what it says is, the Conservative Party has a real commitment, a real connection to the Chinese community. Not like the NDP. They like to marry Chinese people. We have the real connection, was I think the substance of that message. So that's nice. That's, that's Yeah, you know, nice little mail order bride throw there. Yeah, yeah. The NDP are coming for your women. There was open contemplation by a Conservative Party candidate of having Thomas Mulcair stripped of his Canadian citizenship should he commit treason. Yeah, because, you know, if something goes wrong, just it's somebody else's problem. Right. right. Well, it's it's a wonderful return to the concept of exile. You know, I mean, yes, for the lo- longest time, we, we've had this concept of citizenship. And even if you commit horrible crimes, we put you in prison for your life. But no, this is back to like what Genghis Khan would do, right? Like, <laughs> you're, you're, you're exiled. <laughs> it's just making me so sad. This is where the discourse is at. And it's it's silly because it's not real. Like, we're not going to exile people. God, I hope not. I mean, like, there isn't a basis in law. The courts have said, no, the, the women wearing niqabs are going to be able to participate in the citizenship ceremony. Like, I mean, there's more to it than that. It's there just was something a... to talk about. It's just something to talk about. So if I'm remembering this article from the CBC properly, a man was wondering what would happen to his two daughters who were born in Canada should they commit a crime. Uh, will they be deported? And he was told, yes. Because he came from elsewhere and his daughters have dual citizenship. Right, right. Just by insinuation that there's some new category of lesser Canadian. It's not actually true. If you're a dual citizen, you're a citizen. But these ideas that I think are just sort of fodder, grist for the mill, divisive issues that help, maybe they will get turned into law, maybe not. But like the doubt that is being entered, like what's happening on a cultural level is so dispiriting. Like this is for real. Like I was talking to a woman who's – whose kid is taught by a woman who wears a hijab. The kid never noticed. The kid never noticed that there was anything different about the teacher. And then someone mentions to her, her kid, oh, did you know that your teacher might not be allowed to vote? It's all crossed wires. Nobody is suggesting that women in the niqab or the hijab shouldn't be allowed to vote. But the idea that the teacher was different or other or somehow less Canadian. Screw for the, that. For the first time ever is in this kid's head, you know. Screw it. Screw the you're with us or you're against us narrative, which has people who don't look white and straight on their toes because of their race, because of their religion. And screw the fact that Canada, which is supposed to be a welcoming country, is suddenly making people look at one another differently. I think that that's where this is being lived, is if you actually have to, like, send your kid to school in, 
like a turban or in a hijab and and now you're just like is this is it safe for me to do this and i can't speak to what that's like and we're two white people discussing this we're hearing reports i mean at the extremes of actual acts of violence but i can only imagine how shitty this is for people to be like othered as as a Political football is the cliche, but just like as a tactic that they're just fodder. No, it's what the hell, conservatives? There was a woman who was attacked in Toronto in front of her two little children. And she said that her daughter was so freaked out by the incident. She saw her mom attacked while wearing a niqab. In Canada. That's a hate crime. And uh, look, we're shocked and outraged. We've been shocked and outraged from the start. Like that is part of the formula. That is counted on. That doesn't matter. You know, the monocles can fall out all through downtown Toronto. It's not stopping the machine. The machine is working. And I I find myself— And I would just like to know that the machine only started working when Harper brought in an Australian campaign advisor. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, I think that some of this is just like there was just good luck for Harper in the decision against him on the niqab coming at the time that it did. That worked to his favor, as did the TPP stuff. There's no master plan to that. It just— Says you. You don't know what's going on in their (laughs) war room. I don't know. It has consequences. And, Jane, it has me, like, more than ever feeling like what's missing— from the playbook of outrageous thing is said in a very common, reasonable way. I mean, what does Harper preface all of his statements with? Well, look. Like, it's always this very pandering, like, well, well, look, I have no choice but to incite divisive, racist He sounds like an old racist uncle at a table that has a giant turkey in front of it for Thanksgiving. And he sounds like, well, look, I've lived a little. I have some experience. I know the world better than you do. No matter what he says, that is his tone. Yeah, it's like that. there's no real other reasonable option but to see things the way that he's describing them. And everybody else looks kind of crazy by comparison because we're so upset by the actual lived implications of this stuff. And I have to say, maybe this is where satire comes in. This is maybe this is where we need to make fun of how freaking ridiculous this is. That's what's missing here. I, I, that's it entirely. I mean, like We've been posting these videos by Scott Roman that are really funny. I think that they're great. And Everybody people, loves them. We'll plug them and everyone should go check them out. They're not doing what we're talking about, though, and, and that, that wasn't the intention of them. There's something wonderful that happens that is outside of this usual play of, like, outrageous thing is said, other people get mad about it or argue against it. There's something that happens when mockery is exerted the way it should be. When it's not about shouting them down or saying that they're awful, it's about embarrassing them. There's something about after you see the killer impersonation of a politician or the killer John Stewart or John Oliver takedown of an idea or of a politician where you can't quite look at them the same anymore. No, you, know? you really can't. I they, don't know. They've been denuded. They've been humiliated. And we just don't have that. And we need it. We need it so bad right now. And you know what? It's It doesn't just fall to the media. Politicians can be just as ridiculous. They can make fun of Harper just as much. They can go further in their opposition to this bluntly xenophobic position. Yeah, and it's— I'm just angry at everyone for everything about this. I'm I'm scared, and I'm not drama-queening this. I'm telling you, like, it's all in code words, right? So today I was spouting off on Twitter about this stuff, and people were saying, w- w- you're overreacting. We're not racist. We're just against female genital mutilation. That's a barbaric practice. Would you not agree? Islam isn't a race. It's a religion. The—, the uh, 
ban is on religious headgear. That's not Muslim specific. This isn't racist. This is not anti-Muslim. We've seen this before. No one ever comes out right with it with using the word. When McCarthy came after Jews, he called them communists, right? When the communists came after Jews, they called them rootless cosmopolitans. It's it's, it's about dog whistles. It's about code words. And it's it's exactly what we're seeing. Female genital mutilation, which like is that a huge problem in Canada that is happening? Because I can't find a documented case of it. And yet we're told that we need a hotline for it. And I'm reminded of the blood libel against Jewish people. Like this is – it's old and destructive and gross. And I'm sorry if it makes me seem like I'm a hopping mad, you know, textbook Harper derangement syndrome victim. Like it's it's happening in front of my eyes in my country and I give a shit. Okay, part two of the same thing is that the – again with the niqabs today in the headlines, right? Yep. So today – They just won't leave, will they? (laughs) They just won't retire. That, well, this country, it's a huge problem. The Nakabi problem is its plaguing us. No, I mean, so now what is the – like how does this story still have legs? It has legs because it's moved on from the Nakab in the citizenship ceremony to this idea that the conservatives are contemplating banning the Nakab in, in the civil service. That's, that's what's in every paper today, right? That's what's getting the clicks. So we like reverse engineered that story. Just out of curiosity, like how, how – where did that come from? Who decided that that should be news today? And everyone reports that this was announced uh, and everyone, you know, assumes a certain amount of like intentionality out of Harper. Like there's a very skilled tactical politician. Everything is is predetermined. And where did he make the announcement that he's considering the Nakabi ban? It was on this uh, interview with Rosemary Barton on the CBC yesterday. Yeah, it was. And uh, it's very interesting, actually, because – It's like a light bulb went off in his head, you know. Um, Rosemary was just following the line of questioning about the niqab, trying to, I suppose, figure out how far it can go, how far the conservatives will Right, the slippery slope thing, like, okay, you've banned it here. Where else are you going to take this anti-niqab thing? And she's actually the one who brings it up. He didn't bring it up. She brings up the civil service. She does, and it's like— a light bulb goes off in Stephen Harper's head of like, oh, yes, I can put this in the headlines for another day. And if you li- actually listen to what he says, he doesn't say anything. All he's saying is like, I'll contemplate it. OK, well, I'm going to contemplate having a double cheeseburger for dinner. You know, doesn't mean I'm going to have one. <laughs> let's, play, let's play it right now. What is the limits then? Like what, what, what can a government then tell someone to do? If you're willing to tell this woman that she can't live her life like this, that she cannot wear this at this ceremony, where, where, where do you put the limits? Well, this is a Canadian public ceremony. And certainly Canadians have a right to establish the basic values around that ceremony that are reflective of our basic values as a society. But a public, sec- a public service worker, for instance, in the civil service, uh, someone who has a public position, should they be allowed to? Well, that's, that's a matter we're going to examine. You're absolutely right. It's not a policy announcement. She opened a door there of like, how far are you going to take this in the cab thing? And I think he improvised. That was Jazz Harper. That was Scat Harper. He's like, aha, I can give this new life to this niqab thing. Yeah, sure. We're exploring the possibility of banning the niqab in the civil service. I definitely hear the confetti going off in his head and like this, the silly string of like the party of like, yes, we can get more out of the niqab. (laughs) Whatever was going on in his head, that's all he had to say was, yeah, we're exploring that. And today the papers are filled with it. And not only are they filled with an issue that is a winner for the conservatives, it's an issue that 
means we're not talking about a hundred other things. Yeah, it does. Like we're not talking about the TPP as much as we should because we still have no idea what's in there. Okay, I, no, I, I, I'm going to argue with you there because okay. the first question in that interview was about TPP. In fact, the interview was like staged in a factory floor with a Canadian flag in the corner. Like it was the TPP interview as it was branded by the conservatives. Why the CBC? Like, I Look, I know that they've had to sell their buildings or they're in the process of doing so. I understand <laughs> that all the interviews are now being conducted in fields. Maybe they don't have the studio space anymore. But like, No, this was obviously a bit of stage management of like we are – the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, this big trade deal that was just announced is another winning issue that contradicts the narrative of the Harper government being lousy at economics. And we are – we want this interview to be about that. So what does Rosemary Barton, who is – I think like I'm a fan. I think she's been doing a wonderful job this election. But what does she open that interview with? She asks him – was there any point during the five-year negotiation of this trade deal where you thought it just might not happen? Like, Jane, that is the question you ask somebody who's just won a gold medal at the Olympics. Like, did you ever doubt yourself? <laughs> That's what you ask the Oscar winner. Like, wh- how hard was this role? Well, first of all, as many have pointed out on Twitter, that set really brought out Stephen Harper's eyes. <laughs> So if we're going to talk, if we must talk about the, the the trade deal, do we talk about the fact that it was negotiated in secret? And we have no actual idea what's in it. That is my point. We have no idea what's in it. All we know is supply management. Can we turn that into a hashtag? Like hashtag supply management. The narrative hasn't been as critical as I would like for it to be. It's been repeating talking points. And the only reason it's been repeating talking points is because we haven't seen the actual deal yet. It's message control. And who is setting the message? We're in a completely reactionary mode. We are just dancing to their tune again and again. When I took a PR class in university, you know what they told me? The question doesn't matter. Only the answer matters. So maybe we should just keep asking the same question until we get an actual answer to it. I think that's interesting. Like, I questioned why... Rosemary had to begin the interview about about this trade deal. And I got a very quick response. Somebody said, that's the big news of the day. What else is she going to start with? And I'm like, well, who made it the big news of the day? Like, and what is this consensus about, like the news is supposed to be about the news. What is this thing where we like opened up the papers and we all agree that whatever the Globe and Mail, the CBC is leading with, that's what we all must talk about. Why not ask about the environment or Duffy, or any other of the hundred other issues, well, that's done. We've, we've agreed that that's done. Why? Do we have all the answers on that? We don't. I mean, why not ask relentlessly just... Ask the same question. If your question is not being answered, if you ask, why are we not doing anything about murdered and missing Aboriginal women and girls? And the answer is like, well, uh, that's a criminal issue. No, keep asking the question again and again and again and again until you get an answer. What? Yeah, there's this you know, there, there's this conception of like, well, I've only got 13 minutes. I'm trying to cover as much ground as I can. It's like, you know what? If you if you did nothing but spend that 13 minutes asking about, and it doesn't have to be my issue. And this is not to focus exclusively on Rosemary Barton. Like anybody who has an opportunity to five minutes, 10 minutes, pick one thing where we have not received clarity, where we don't have a clean answer from the PM and ask that question. And and you can watch. There are British journalists who know how to do this. You just ask it again. I'm sorry you didn't answer the question. You know what the best point in the campaign was for me? The best interview with the leaders was for me when Chatelaine, which is a hugely underrated publication, in my opinion, had questions with all the leaders. And at some point, uh, they asked Harper a question, which he just straight up lied about. And instead of listening to his answer, they cut him off and said, 
you actually said this something completely opposite on your interview with Mansbridge. That was hands down the best point of the campaign. And I would get a TV subscription if our journalists kept doing that, kept fact checking, kept asking the same question over and over until it's freaking answered. Word up to Chatelaine. <laughs> so, Jane, you know that before your arrival here, we had a couple stories about newspaper endorsements. Oh, you don't say. <laughs> and I was interested in these occasions where newspaper publishers were shoving down the throat of editors, you must endorse this candidate, because it tells you a bit about how the newspaper is run and who really is in control. And today, La Presse announced that they're endorsing Justin Trudeau. Okay. I don't have an interest in this because I feel that newspaper endorsements are all that influential. I don't think people read newspaper endorsements and decide who to vote on the basis of newspaper endorsements. That's your opinion, yes. I feel like maybe there was that time, maybe, but the time has passed. That is my opinion. I do, however, think that in this election, the press has an incredible amount of power to determine the vote. I think the press might actually have the power to determine who the next prime minister is because, of course, and this has been consistent throughout polling up till right now, the majority of voters want Harper out. And they just are going to look at the last minute at where, well, I don't where, know. where to vote strategically in order to I think to do that's that. your interpretation of the polls. But what the polls actually say is that it's a really freaking tight race. No, we're talking about different polling. I mean, there, there are polls about which party you're going to vote for, that question. Sure. Then there's the question of, do you want to see a change? Do you want Harper out? Of course. And the majority of people polled have consistently said, I want Harper out. We know that strategic voting is going to be a major factor. And it's widely recognized in the public, I think. Um, I actually saw a project called VoteTogether.ca, which aims to figure out who is going to vote in writings where conservatives could be voting voted out. And constituents in those writings can check in on Election Day and see who they should vote for. Right. So that's like – Maybe a better way than flipping open a newspaper and seeing what the columnists are saying to determine if you are a strategic voter. I think that, like, you know, for a lot of people, your preference between the NDP and the Liberal Party is not as great as your preference against the prime minister and that government. And that's just true. So when a great number of people finally check in a day or two or a week before the election to figure out, all right, am I going red or orange? That's when the press has an incredible amount of power. And I kind of like sensed that there was a day – and I don't know. It's a chicken and egg thing. Maybe it was spurred by the polls saying the, the, the NDP are through and then all the columnists and analysts piled on and started sure, – sure. And you saw headline after headline. NDP slide in poll appears to signal end of three-party tie. Gosh. I mean that came like a week ago. There's a lot of time left in the election. No, it's the end of the three-party tie. Oh, Mulcair is going to be so sad. Polls show emerging two-way race amid signs of orange crash. Like the <laughs> Yeah, la- that the, was not clever at all. Like the language is they're done, you know? And in, in an election where anything could happen – it's been like over a week that we've been told relentlessly, you know, even Conrad Black. And it, a week is significant in the news cycle considering, you know, things can come and go within hours. Yeah. I mean, anything could happen. And the points, I mean, yes, there's absolutely been a shift in Quebec around Mulcair's polling. But like anything could happen. The other candidates could screw themselves up. Mulcair could Like anything <laughs> could happen. But no, we're being given this message of like, forget it. Forget it. If there was a time when you thought this was possible, forget it. Uh, National Post view. The new NDP, same as the old. Conrad Black, the NDP still isn't ready, but it turns out Trudeau might be. 
in the post. CBC analysis, liberal comeback in Toronto dampens Mulcair's hopes for victory. So it's like, you know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy perhaps where you're told like again and again, forget it, it can't happen. And then you're like, well, you know, I kind of prefer the NDP, the liberals, but I'm going to have to vote liberal. And I just wonder without any kind of like, did anyone get together and say, okay, like the fix is in. Uh, it just sort of felt like one day that was the message and it was being uh, across every news. Well, I mean, that was the message. That was the message after the debates, right? After the last debate where Mulcair, in my opinion, didn't do too well. Did he go down in flames? Was it like, okay, obviously that's over? It didn't feel that way to me. I'm not like lobbying for anybody here. I'm, I'm just trying to like make some sense of what I'm being told. What I think is even more interesting is that while voters will look to the media to figure out who they should vote for, strategic voters will, there's something to be said about the lack of polling in smaller writings and swing writings and the lack of tiny local media that is able to report on what is going on in their specific writings. So we look at the leaders and we look at the parties, but when it comes to specific writings where the races are tight, we don't really have that much information. And I haven't seen much information published on those things. Yeah, I don't know either. I don't, and, and nothing would surprise me. Like I, I'm not as informed as, as a lot of people are about how polling really works. I see that there's like 1,200 people across the country are being asked who they'd vote for. Like, is it getting to that granular writing by writing level? Is it taking into account people on their cell phones? Or are, we, are we basing everything off of landlines? You know, Yeah, I, and they're all good questions that have already been asked. But If people want to let me know how I should be reading this stuff better, I, I would like to know. But what I can tell you is that but just speaking personally, I, I, I kind of feel like nothing would surprise me at this point. An overwhelming conservative majority that puts the polls to shame would not surprise me. A complete reversal of what everyone's saying about Mulcair would not surprise me. What if a whole new bunch of young voters show up who aren't being counted in these polls? So to defer so much to these analysts, to Conrad Black, to the to the National Post's – I mean, it's such a weird thing. The National Post view, the NDP is the same as the old NDP. Like, it, that's like an endorsement against a party as opposed to actually <laughs> endorsing for – it's like, just don't vote for these guys. They can't win. I feel like, you know, it ain't over till it's over. That was your Canada Land Shortcuts. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read them all. I respond when I can. I'm on Twitter at Jesse Brown. Jane, where are you? I'm on Twitter at JaneLYTV, or you can email me at Jane at CandalandShow.com. Our website is CandidalandShow.com, and the crowdfunding site is Patreon.com slash CandidaLand. This show is produced by Katie Jensen. The next episode of Canada Land will be up on Monday. The next episode of Canada Land Commons will be up on Tuesday. If you like this show, please support it. In France, in the 13th century, a teenager ascends the throne. He seems calm, collected, and as it happens, drop-dead gorgeous. But looks can be deceiving, and no one is ready for the death, destruction, and chaos that lie ahead. Step inside the reign of one of the Middle Ages' most cold-blooded rulers on This Is History presents The Iron King. Available wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl. Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.